Welcome to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson, and I'm joined by MNN's Bill Werner, Tasha Radel, and Mike Grimm. We're going to delve into what's going on in the North Star State. If it matters in Minnesota, we've got it covered. This week, the state's education commissioner on the new school year, a summer tourism review, and balancing sports and academics at the U of M. But first... This week brought surprises at the start of the final sprint to Election Day, while the same week marked the end of an era around the globe. Bill Werner has those stories. Scott, this week's latest poll in the race for governor showed incumbent Democrat Tim Walls expanding his lead to 18 points over Republican challenger Scott Jensen. The governor saying he and Lieutenant Governor Peggy Flanagan are a known quantity, while his opponent... If you're telling women that you're going to restrict their choices and their sovereignty and you're going to try and ban abortion services, people need to know that. When we're starting back to school and you say you're going to defund education, people need to know that. The Jensen campaign released a new TV ad this week showing the candidate cradling his new grandchild. I've delivered 500 babies in my career. Abortion is divisive, and Tim Walls is weaponizing the issue. In Minnesota, it's a protected constitutional right, and no governor can change that. And I'm not running to do that. I'm running because we need safe streets, excellent schools, parental rights, and more money in the family budget. That's what I'll fight for. Let's focus on the issues that matter. Hamlin University professor David Schultz says Jensen holding his grandchild is basically a wink-wink to his base of support. To basically say, yeah, I'm saying I'm not going to change anything, um, but guess what? I've got my grandchild here. Wink-wink, uh, um, you know where I really stand. But Schultz says swing voters should be able to see right through that. An activist group that includes doctors, the Committee to Protect Health Care, this week called on Jensen to publicly clarify his position against abortion. Dr. Dawn Ellison, retired emergency physician in rural Minnesota. Scott Jensen's statements prior to the Republican primary are different from what he is saying now, and I would certainly be interested in finding out how he really stands. Jensen said last March, quote, I would try to ban abortion but in late July said rape and incest, along with endangering the mother's mental or physical health, are acceptable exceptions to a ban on abortion. Retired Rochester anesthesiologist Dr. Mary Keeman said if Minnesota had a governor and legislature that wanted to ban abortion, they could do so. That's why it is so important to have the facts about Dr. Jensen's support for banning abortion. The Jensen campaign responded, short of voters approving a constitutional amendment, there's no short-term way to ban abortion in Minnesota because of the Doe v. Gomez state Supreme Court ruling. Hamlin University's David Schultz says the poll showing Walls substantially widening his lead over Jensen indicates Democrats' message on reproductive rights seems to be resonating with voters, especially, he says, college-educated suburban women. I think that's the explanation for what's happening here, is that this issue has been very effective for the Democrats, and they've painted Scott Jensen into a person who's opposed to reproductive rights. Schultz says also significant is that Walls has an overwhelming financial advantage. He's been able to use that money effectively in ads to paint Scott Jensen as being anti-choice, anti-abortion rights, anti-reproductive rights. 
And it looks like, in part, that seems to have succeeded. But Democrats are not in such a good position in the attorney general's race. A new poll this week showing Democratic incumbent Keith Ellison holding just a six-point lead over Republican challenger Jim Schultz with 14 percent undecided. Ellison says he has no regrets about not appealing after a Ramsey County judge struck down several high-profile state abortion laws. And an appeal would not likely bring a different result, but would cost a lot of money and time. And so I uh, stand by my decision. Republican opponent Jim Schultz says Ellison... He's a far-left extremist running a fundamentally political attorney general's office. And you see it in, in the, on the crime side of things as well. Schultz says Ellison, as Minnesota's chief law enforcement officer, backed defunding the police. And this week, the end of an era. The BBC is interrupting its normal programs to bring you an important announcement. This is BBC News from London. Buckingham Palace has announced the death of Her Majesty Queen Elizabeth II. In a statement, the palace said the Queen died peacefully at Balmoral, this afternoon. The King and the Queen Consort will remain at Balmoral this evening and will return to London tomorrow. BBC Television is broadcasting this special programme reporting the death of Her Majesty the Queen. Minnesota and much of the Western world pause as the news from the UK spread across the globe. Catherine Jordan with the British American Project in Minnesota says the late Queen Elizabeth II. She never wavered in that stewardship, in that dignity that she brought to her work. She was the jewel in the crown of what it takes to, to keep a people whole, happy, honored um, and respected. Governor Tim Walz ordered that all flags over state and federal buildings be immediately lowered to half-staff. He said Queen Elizabeth was a force on the world stage and her leadership through some of the darkest times in recent history will not be forgotten. Senator Tina Smith said Queen Elizabeth embodied public service. She began her reign when women's roles were narrowly defined and lived her life rising above it. She led with grace and strength. As the news came in, manager Shane Higgins at Brit's Pub in downtown Minneapolis said the Queen's passing would likely draw patrons in to gather. You know, I think today will be very informal for people coming down and paying respects. You know, it's, you know we perhaps are a bit of a gathering place for, for Brit's in Minneapolis, so we'd obviously, you know, nice to see people if they do come down. Uh, just very sad, you know. She's been the Queen all my life, and, uh, you know, pretty much anybody under 70 years. 50 years old in England has uh, only had one monarch. Queen Elizabeth was on the British throne for 70 years. She was 96 when she died. Scott? Thank you, Bill. More Minnesota Matters after this. 
Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives. Who are we? We're your neighbors, co-workers, and friends. That's right, we live and work in the community too. Because of that, we're committed to making sure our electric services stay reliable, affordable, and safe. Throughout the state, Minnesota Electric Co-ops work independent of each other, but with the same goal, provide power to Minnesota. You have so many other things to worry about. Your electricity isn't one of them. Minnesota Rural Electric Cooperatives, bringing power to the people of Minnesota. Change a light bulb, save some green. Just replace traditional light bulbs with energy-efficient bulbs and fixtures. If you're like most people, 20% of your home electric bills go directly to lighting. Every light we switch to one bearing the government's Energy Star label uses at least two-thirds less energy than older bulbs. Such a light will save more than $30 in energy costs over its lifetime. Brighten your environmental future from the U.S. Environmental Protection Agency. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. I'm Scott Peterson. Minnesota students are back in school after dealing with more than two years of the pandemic. State Education Commissioner Heather Mueller says there will be challenges, as always, but also reasons for optimism. So as a teacher, a mom, and the wife of a teacher, this has always been a really exciting time of year, and I'm incredibly hopeful about moving into this next school year. It's an opportunity not only to come back to what feels maybe like more of a sense of normalcy, if we can call it that, but also an opportunity to reconnect with your friends, reconnect with relationships you've built with your teachers in the past, as well as the teachers that you have this year. Um, It's an opportunity really to um, identify where students are now and where they need to go. It's really important partnerships and building relationships for um, the teacher and the parent and the student. And so it is always just a really exciting time to know that we're able to bring our students into our schools and to meet them where they are and take them to where they need to be. You mentioned, obviously, we're somewhat returning to a sense of normalcy, which is, I'm sure, one of the most foremost things on uh, parents' and students' minds. Um, In terms of that normalcy, are are there any remnants of the height of the pandemic in terms of what it meant for students for Minnesota, uh, or, or are we entirely past that? Well, I think that what we are is cautiously optimistic. And so I think what we've we've known is that there were systems and structures that we needed to build um, throughout the pandemic that aligned. There was safety plans to really be thoughtful about um, what we needed to have. Um, Vaccinations were a piece of that, making sure that we had those structures in place. And the CDC has come out with and agreed that there needs to be some additional um, vaccinations. And so that was just announced, as you know, last night. And so new boosters are available And so I think that what we know in those remnants are is that we are better understanding of what COVID-19 is. We understand that there are variants. We understand the benefits of vaccinations and actually staying home when you are ill. Um, We may have thought about that with the flu a little bit differently, and I think that we've learned something in that process. And so those are the things that I I believe are going to remain, the things that we learned about the systems and structures in order to make sure that we are, are keeping our students and staff and families safe. Um, as it pertains to health in our school environment. 
Uh, we're both parents of, of kids in high school, as you mentioned, and uh, you know I, I know that one of the the top things on my mind is safety, uh, not necessarily regarding health necessarily, but just safety in the school building. Um, how much of a focus is that for school administrators around the state this year as we get ready to start the school year? Well, school safety is in the way that we're also talking about it in just the physical safety is something that is always at the foremost. Um, and forefront of for our school leaders and for our educators in our classrooms and across the state. Um, and so the events that have happened more recently, especially in Uvalde, um, have been pieces that I'm going to be frank that every single educator thinks about and dreads. Um, and our plans and our staff had, have done amazing work in, in ensuring that they have plans in place to um, respond if there were ever um, a need to be able to respond and to also be proactive in the partnerships that they have in their schools to really build um, those safety plans from a perspective of ensuring that not only the physical building is reinforced, but also the relationships and the important pieces that we have with connections with students and their families is also a piece of that safety plan. Uh, Commissioner, I know we had uh, statewide test results come out recently, and it, it definitely seemed to show that uh, the pandemic had an impact as some of the scores for reading and math had gone down. What's being done uh, in the upcoming school year to address some of that? Well, as you know, we had the opportunity to last year launch uh, a statewide Compass initiative, which really targets and focuses on reading and math and core content areas, as well as the mental health of students. And so with the uh, data that came out, the most recent data that just came out, we are able to expand our support with Compass. And we are going to be able to partner with more public schools across the state to help to support and reinforce best practices in the science of reading, um, in the science and, and support in math, and then also making sure that we are uh, supplying with them with uh, additional information and guidance and support in mental health and social-emotional learning. You know, you talked a little bit about a return to normalcy, and I want to go back to that for just a second. Um, how much of an emphasis is going to be placed uh, by teachers for students on sort of re-socializing students and getting them uh, comfortable being back in the classroom and socializing with friends. That's such a crucial part of life, especially for young folks. Um, how do we balance returning to being social with also buckling down and in, in, in learning? Well, what I think is important to remember is that this is what schools and educators have done for a number of years. And the way that we think about that is coming into the classroom spaces for your very first couple of days, it is the building of relationships. It is the building of routines. It is the setting of expectations, not only for like relationships, but also for academics. And uh, the ability to be able to spend that time, it's not a lot of time, but it is important time, really talking about the academic expectations setting forward those routines that allow us to kind of move into that and the time and opportunity to build those really important relationships is something that our educators have done, and that's what they're going to do again. Um, they are going to give time and place to be able to, to build relationships and, and 
begin uh, working into those academic expectations with that high level of rigor. Thank you to my guest, Minnesota Education Commissioner Heather Mueller. Minnesota Matters returns after this. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. According to the summer 2022 Minnesota Industry Business Conditions Survey, most hospitality businesses in the state reported being financially stable or growing. Tasha Radel connected with Lauren Bennett-McGinty, the state's tourism director, to dig further into the report. I wanted to visit with you as uh, summer is winding down and uh, the kids are back in school. It got me thinking about the summer tourism season. I know we had really optimistic uh, projections going into summer and just wondering what you folks there at Explore Minnesota saw throughout the summer tourism season. Great question. So we partnered with Hospitality Minnesota and the Federal Reserve Bank of Minneapolis to monitor business conditions, which is something we do quarterly um, and more so, I guess, seasonally. And we just got the results of the latest survey. Um, and from 324 food and drink businesses, attractions and entertainment businesses, and lodging. And when we look at the the survey, did it did it I guess look forward as we head into the fall and winter months? Um, it doesn't give you know a, a long tail product projection just because so many people are kind of unsure. But there is some positivity going into those months. Um, several of these businesses feel that they're faring better than they have previously. And so with it being a little bit warmer into the fall now, um, and as those fall colors come into play, I think people are going to continue to see that positive um, visitor number kind of keep keeping in line with what they saw over the summer. Um, obviously, we won't see summer numbers in the fall, but it looks okay going into the fall, which is better than what we can say for 2021. And, you know, will you continue your Dream State campaign uh, here as we head deeper into 2022? Yes, absolutely we will. And, you know, the campaign has done really well for us so far. It's kind of really elicited this different emotional reaction than what we've done previously. And it really creates this wonderful magic about Minnesota and people are reacting very strongly to that. So as we head into the fall, we're going to start talking more about hiking and biking and fall colors. And of course, we'll keep talking about events. Um, and then as we continue into the winter, we're going to really amp up our work on that outdoor winter recreation. And for those people who might not be uh, the snowbirds, like, or I guess reverse of snowbirds um, that we are, they can certainly enjoy some theater and some indoor events during the winter season as well. You know, I know the tourism industry took a big hit uh, throughout the COVID-19 pandemic. And uh, do we still have a few more years to go before, I guess, we get back to totally normal? Yes, I would definitely say we do, unfortunately. I think there are certainly some folks, especially in the northern and central part of Minnesota, who have continued to see growth. So, um, you know, we're seeing percentages up and above over 2021 with our central, northwest, and northeast part of the state. You know, we're certainly seeing some growth there. It's not as rapid as it was last year. But last year was really banking on people getting out of their house for the first time since the beginning of the pandemic. So they continue to see growth up above and beyond that. Um, 
So I think, you know, we'll see that growth, but it's starting to slow down a little bit as sort of people kind of return to maybe a more normal travel schedule rather than trying to fit it all in at once. Um, but what the good news is there is that the metro has had a huge growth this summer, um, and that means that people are getting out more, and we know that Americans are kind of still in that pent-up demand phase and not letting things like inflation and gas prices completely squash their plans going forward. And, you know, I know we we talk about this often, but how important is the tourism industry sector to Minnesota's economy? It's critically important. You know, we're typically um, well over $15 billion uh, in the last few years. However, though, we've lost just about that same amount in tourism money. So we're really looking at kind of growing back. And I always say, you know, I want to be better than where we were in 2019, but we do have a ways to go. And tourism is really the lifeblood of a lot of communities around our state. You know, small businesses really thrive on new visitors and and new money coming into the state. So we'll continue to push that messaging as we go into the next legislative session and really working with our partners in government to find uh, a budget that works for us and, and new programs and projects to really bolster Minnesota in the state, but also to outside visitors and um, even people who might want to set down their roots here. Well, thank you so much for your time. I appreciate it. Yes, thank you. Thank you, Tasha. We'll have more Minnesota Matters after this. You wanted to see me? Yes, please. Have a seat. So here's the thing. When this company brought you on, we took a chance on you. You didn't have that four-year college degree we typically look for. Right. But we gave you a shot anyway. And since then, you've worked incredibly hard and given it your all. Thanks. You've been an important asset to the team. But I don't think you can be an intern here anymore. <sighs> we want to hire you. You're, you're serious? Absolutely. Find your next great employee. Introduce yourself to the grads of life. Who are they? Talent worth knowing about. Young adults of unique determination and experience. An ideal fit for your company in an entry-level position, internship, or even mentorship. They might not have every qualification you typically look for, but they're exactly who your company needs. I won't let you down. I know. Don't miss out on a resource many innovative companies have already discovered. Go to gradsoflife.org to learn how to find, cultivate, and train this great pool of untapped talent. Brought to you by the Ad Council and gradsoflife.org. Welcome back to Minnesota Matters. With the college sports season now underway, time management becomes important for players. Golden Gopher senior linebacker Mariano Sori-Marin spoke with MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm about what type of commitment it takes to be a major college football player at the U of M. Typically, you know, I'll start the week on Monday. Monday's our off day. That's our academic day, and that's filled with a lot of tutoring sessions, meeting with your academic advisor. Um, the coaches have a staff meeting, and they, they just talk about the players. So it's really just a checkup day. You're getting a lot of treatment. You're in throughout the day, but we're away from football, um, you know, on-field stuff. Uh, Tuesday is where we start start the week, and that's that's game plan day number one. And, and that's when the initial game plan gets installed. We're working first and second down. And you start around 7 a.m. in the morning. And you got meetings, practice, lift, treatment. And you really get done with organized football stuff around noon. So you're, you're 7 to noon with organized football. And then you're in the training room. And that's, that's stuff you're doing on your own. You're in the training room recovering your body. You're in the tubs, in the float tanks. And then you're watching film on your own. And, and usually... 
typically you get done around you know two or three with with that type of stuff and then you got to go to class you know yeah. so guys got class they got tutoring and that can last anywhere four to five hours a day just depending on what their course load looks like what the amount of tutoring they need um and then usually we come back and meet um voluntarily as a unit at the end of the night and that's around seven o'clock so well, that's for an hour or seven eight you know as the linebackers get together decide this is the time we're going to get together and watch some film um we'll watch practice from that day we'll continue to study the tips and tendencies and then that's a tuesday so you're really seven to eight Dang. p.m on a tuesday and th- i'd say that's the same for a wednesday um thursday is a little bit different because we have a lot more meeting time and we're doing a walkthrough so we're, we're not in pads and but the practices is much longer because it's not that load of running around we're walking around we're talking through a lot of situations and, and the mental aspect of the game plan um, but then again afterwards you're, you're again you're doing your class you're doing your your recovery and then Fridays we call it fast Friday because you're up early we do a quick practice, quick meetings, and then you, you have a little bit of time off, but then we're going straight to the hotel. And, um, you know, we get to the hotel around Home four, and road, right? Home and road, yeah. So we, we get to the hotel around 4 o'clock on a, on a home day. Um, if we're traveling, you know, we usually take off here around 1 or 2, depending on how far the, the away game is. And then you're at the hotel, and we have meetings there. We have more treatment there. And then you wake up Saturday morning, it's game day. and. That's and that's a weekly schedule. And then what's Sunday involved? So Sunday Besides being sore. Probably. Yeah, so Sunday involves a lot of soreness. Um, but Sunday morning is is de- is is time off. You know, if guys want to worship, you know, sleep in. You just got done with a long game, and then we come in around one or two o'clock in the afternoon, and we have massages. That day is dedicated to a lot of treatment. There's, I mean, you you think about you just played in a football game. You played 40, 50 snaps um, a football you need to get your body right for that week. So it's a lot of treatment. We have meetings in the afternoon and then uh, a, a quick practice. And for the older guys that played in the game, the one and two deep, that consists of corrections from last week's game. And then the young guys actually do a little bit of scrimmaging. And, uh, you know, they, they got to keep their bodies fresh. They got to keep playing live, fast football. So they didn't get to play in the game on Saturday, so they're doing a live scrimmage Sunday. And, and the older guys get to watch and coach them yeah. and see them develop throughout the year. I know coaches have, too, said that that helps them kind of evaluate that that scrimmage. Okay, this is a guy that we can project you right. know, next year oh, might for be sure. in this for spot sure. or two years might be here or oh. or on a rare occasion we got to play this guy right no doubt this year you no know? doubt i mean some you know injuries occur guys get banged up um you know by the end of the year some of those we call them rofers um some of those rofers that we're playing uh doing those sunday night scrimmages they're playing later in the year and so that's why those scrimmages are really important so they can continue to develop see that game speed and um get better because you you never know when you're going to need to call them yeah call no them doubt up. so it sounds based on that that a lot of the classes that, that the football team has to take are got to be mostly afternoon or even evening classes. Yeah, so all all afternoon we can't take classes during the season before twelve, um, and and it's and it flips in the spring. So when we're in spring ball, you can't take classes uh, before in the morning. Yeah, you got to take classes in the morning. So it flips, and and that gives us a great opportunity. I I prefer the mornings, but you know the, the schedule's perfect for us because you you can take that morning class 
in the spring if you need to, or you can take that at afternoon class in, during the season. So it, it's designed perfectly. Yeah, for and us. you have enough of the the academic uh, counseling in terms of like uh, they can they can find out when classes go. So right. there's pl- planning, I guess, is what I'm saying. Yes. Like not ever all of you guys you know are going to need tutors necessarily, or what right, have you? Right. But probably all of you need some sort of help in regard. To, oh no doubt. Here's what the schedule looks like in the spring. Here's what you probably need to do to take classes. Uh, one to get a degree, and I'm thinking of guys you know that have you know really nice degrees, either pre med or business or Carlson School, and you know that's not anything to mess with. No, right? no doubt, those academic advisors do a phenomenal job, and, and they really help us out because they put together a four year plan. Or if you're a guy that says I want to graduate in three and a half, or I want to graduate in three, they put together a really nice plan for you to be successful. Yeah. And uh, you know we've seen. You know, under Coach Fleck, the, the, the cumulative team GPA just continued to rise, and that's a testament to the players. That's a testament to that academic staff and just the work that those guys put in. Because, I mean, at the end of the day, we are student athletes, and we're yeah. doing a lot, a lot of schoolwork. And um, you know, people sometimes forget that, but no doubt, we we we, we work really hard in the classroom, and, and it shows. That's Gopher linebacker Mariano Sori Marin and MNN Sports Director Mike Grimm. That is going to do it for us for this week. Thank you so much for listening, and please tune in again next week for Minnesota Matters on this MNN station.